Well, good morning. I am super glad to be here with you today. Uh, welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church, and for our friends and family who are online with us, we're glad you're here as well. Uh, I, I'm going to ask a question. We don't often ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think this is a safe one. I don't think I have any worries here. Show of hands, who hopes to be a really huge failure in life? Right. No, I didn't think so. Okay. Well, who hopes that their children will be a failure in life? Right. I felt that was pretty safe. I think you're with me. None of us hope that. Um, not a single person, I believe, probably raised their hands. Um, but many of us often live with kind of this fear that I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be kind of in when we want to be in. Sometimes we feel like we're out, right? We feel like we're on the outside. We spend so much of our time and energy and resources trying to get on the inside of whatever we feel like is, you know, the thing to do, the big thing. And I, we, I'm kind of an achiever in my own kind of the way I'm wired I want to be in. Um, so maybe you have different areas in your life where you want to be in. Sometimes we want to be in with fashion, sometimes with sports, sometimes with friends. Sometimes it's just about uh, being a part of maybe, depending on what town you're in. Uh, I don't think that happens here, uh, but like I've been in some other towns in other states where there was an in church to be. Um, and I'm grateful. I don't think we have that here. But so often we want to be in. In fact, we even want to be in on the joke, right? We don't want to be the butt of the joke. We want to be in on the joke. I, I want to know what's happening. You, you know, I don't, I don't want to find out when everybody else already knows, right? We want to know. We want to be in. We want to, uh, we want to have the inside information. We want, to, we want to be a part of whatever is in. Let me give you an example. As I was growing up in the 80s, do we have any 80s kids here? Okay, so I'm alone. When I grew up in the 80s, let me tell you what was in. Uh, at the time I grew up, uh, Izod, the, the alligator, was in, and but soon that was replaced with polo. So it went from Izod to polo. Um, in blue jeans, it went from Jordash to Calvin Klein and then to Guess. That's what was in. Um, let's see, jackets, if you were wearing a jacket, it was either a jean jacket, Calvin Klein jean jacket, or it was the weird collar members only jacket, right? Did anybody here have a members only jacket? Um, somebody did. Um, so members only. Yeah, for tennis shoes in the 80s, um, during this specific period of time, it was the Reebok high top tennis shoe. Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think what else. Sunglasses uh, were Varnay. That's what was in. Watches. Anybody know what the watch was in the 80s? Yep. Swatch watch for the 80s. Uh, now, for Cole, he was in the 90s. Now, for Cole, that's when the Air Jordans were coming on really strong. Um, and so, uh, Ronnie and Cindy are in here. I, I didn't give them a heads up. We were talking about this. Um, they love Cole, right? <laughs> They love Cole, but here's what Cole said, because Air Jordans were, they were in the night in 1990s dollars, they were $100. That's a lot of money. Now, that was a whole lot of money 30 years ago, 100 bucks. Cole said, my parents really loved me. They just didn't love me like that. 
<laughs> and he said, what was worse, though, he didn't, you know, he didn't have the Air Jordans. He said, what was worse, he had the Air Jordan knockoffs. <laughs> Now, listen, I can relate to this because I didn't have the IZOD. I had some friends who had an IZOD shirt. This is not going to amaze you. It amazed me in the 80s. Had an IZOD shirt for every day of the week. That's a lot of IZOD shirts. I was like, how do you do that? I don't understand that. I did not have the IZOD. I had the Kmart Fox. It was not the IZOD, obviously, because it was a fox. <laughs> and it was not foxy. No. So for Cole showing up, these are his words, uh, I'm paraphrasing, in uh, the 90s with the knockoff <laughs> Air Jordans, and me showing up with my non-IZOD, non-polo fox shirt, um, it is like showing up to school, the school cafeteria uh, drinking one of these right there. Anybody have that? The Shasta. And I, you can't tell this, but that's one of those little cans. It's not even a full can of Shasta. You're showing up with a half Shasta, or you're showing up with this one over here, the Dr. Bob, right? So it's just not, you're not in the way you want to be in if you're showing up, if I was showing up with a Kmart Fox shirt. It just, it it wasn't working for me. But we work so hard to get in, to get on the inside. We want to wear the right, right clothes, the right shoes. We want to use the right language uh, because that's how you get, that's our thinking, how you get the right friends, how you, you just kind of conform to whatever the social norms are. If you want to know what the social norms were for the 80s, just watch some of those uh, is it Sam Houston movies? I don't know who made them, but Breakfast Club, things like that. You'll, you'll see, that was the 80s. And so we were all trying to fit in to those norms. We wanted to be in, but here's what's even more important than being in. We wanted to stay in. We wanted to stay in. And this is not new. We have, a lot of times we feel like that it, all of these kind of things just happen in our, our lifetime, you know, in the 19, late 1900s for me and the 2000s for you, right? But I promise that's not the case because this has been going on for centuries, for millennia, because we find in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, we, say, we find Paul saying this to the Gentiles. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. And it's like, well, thanks for reminding us, Paul, <laughs> that we were outsiders, that we were not included, that we were not in. Thanks for giving us the reminder. So these Ephesians uh, mostly were Gentiles, non-Jews. And, and I just happen to, to, to wonder if they're like, hey, Paul, you know, we didn't even know we were out but we were out. And Paul says that you were out, not just um, because you were on the outside of the culture, of the Jewish culture, you were on the outside because you weren't even in a right standing with God. He goes on, they used to be outsiders, and that's an important word. 
you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, Gentiles, uh, this is how we used to talk about you. <laughs> this is what we said behind your backs. This is how we used to handle these things, these conversations about you. But it's important for us to understand that th this, this is one of the main things that did separate the Jewish people from the Gentile world. Um, because all the Jews who were in were in with this symbol, with this surgery, with this sign. Everybody else was out. And the Jews were really proud of their status. I mean, they were super proud that they were in with God. And in fact, they were actually, they didn't even know, they, they never had a chance to be out because they were born in. That surgery happened when they were just eight days old. I mean, so they'd been in before they knew that there was ever a chance to be out. And the Gentiles were outsiders because they didn't have this old covenant surgery, but also because Paul describes it was a lifestyle issue. He talks about it in verse 12. In those days when they were out, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now, did you notice the phrase that Paul chose to use to begin this whole thing? Here's the phrase, used to be out. In other words, you're not out, out anymore. Now, there's a lot of scripture that we're going to be using this morning. But this morning, since we are short on time, we're going to focus on this specific phrase, you used to be outsiders, meaning something has changed for your life. Something is different in your life. Yes, Ephesians and all the other non-Jews that Paul knows are going to be listening to and reading these letters, you used to be out, but it doesn't have to be that way any longer. It doesn't have to be. Why? Because for these Gentiles that Paul is writing to specifically, for most of them, there has been a permanent change in their position with God. Something has taken place, something has changed. And for us today, thousands of years later, deep down inside of our lives, we all long for that same change. We want to be included. We want to be an insider with God. Now, one more important thing here. Um, we want to know that we're in. We want this thing that we call assurance. Can you assure me? Can you really confirm, assure me that I am in, right? Don't we want that? We want that. The only thing worse than not being an insider is to think that you're an insider only to find out someday that, no, no, actually you weren't in. And that can be brutal, and that can be traumatic. I, I, I have flashbacks right now to middle school just thinking about that, thinking that, oh, you just thought you were in. Really, you're not in at all. 
what a horrible discovery to make. And when it comes to the most important things in our lives, this right here, our connection to God and our living eternally in this real place called heaven, how horrible would it be to live with this constant worry that we hope we're in? I'm not sure that I am, and I have no assurance. I hope I am, but I might not really be in. Because how horrible would it be to come to that day and realize, oh, oh, oh there's something you missed a box you didn't check, a step you didn't take, and you thought you were sincere, you thought it was real, but turns out it wasn't real. Which is why I wanted to highlight today. It's what Paul is doing here with these non Jewish followers with zero background in how to follow Jesus and zero background in the Jewish roots of following Jesus, zero history to build upon. He's telling them, guys, listen, he's saying, don't worry. And these people had zero background. He's saying, don't worry, you're in. That wasn't the case before, Paul is saying, but now he's saying, you're in. And he goes on. He said, you're in because for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul is saying, because of your faith and what Jesus did on the cross for you, you can be in. And you can be confident and you can be assured. And for me, and maybe for you, maybe we're like, listening to this 2,000 years later, and we're saying, okay, Paul, that sounds good. I wish I could ask you personally a question, though, because I want to know, I want to be on the inside. I want to be there. But Paul, this question remains, how can I know for sure? I mean, you wrote this 2,000 years ago. How can I know for sure that this applies to me today? How can I be completely sure that I'm no longer an outsider? Because, Paul, this is way too important for me to just wonder about and to guess. Yes, Paul, I hope I'm in, and I hear you saying I'm in, but sometimes, Paul, I'm just going to be honest, sometimes I don't feel like I'm in. Paul, I've been here before, middle school. I thought I was, but apparently I wasn't. They talked about me behind my back. Paul, I'll be honest, I'm kind of terrified at this thought. When the big day, you know what that is, the big day we stand before God, when it approaches and I might discover that this whole time I just thought I was in, Paul, do I just have to wait and see what happens on that big day? And for the rest of the time, I'm just hoping and guessing and wondering and we all know this is, for many of us, a relevant concern. Because remember, a few months ago, we talked about what Cole and I called that scary verse. <laughs> you remember the scary verse? You know that verse is the one where it's one of the many that's written in red. And you know what that means? The red letters means it's words of Jesus in some Bibles, all right? 
And it's where some folks show up to heaven and it's like, knock, knock, knock on the door. Jesus, we're here. Yay. And Jesus responds, Mm-mm, depart from me. I don't know you. And they're like, what? What's going on? I thought I was in. I'm not in. And many of us struggle with that verse for that reason, because it creates in our hearts a lot of uncertainty, which uncertainty is the opposite of knowing. And that is brutal. And that is terrifying. It could be a little traumatizing. If anyone has ever struggled in the past with assurance. See, I I don't want to be left just hoping that I'm doing it right, just guessing, just wondering. And I am guessing here. I'm guessing that you don't want to be left just guessing and hoping either. I'm guessing that you also want assurance. So what is this word assurance? Assurance is the state of being assured, such as being certain in the mind. I want something that inspires or tends to inspire confidence, right? That's assurance. I like this next description, though. It is the act or the action of of assuring someone or something such as, and why they use the word assurance in the definition of assuring, I'm not sure, but here's what I really like. You assure them with something such as a pledge or a guarantee. Now that's what I want. I want a guarantee. I want a guarantee. I want to be confident. I want to be certain. I want a guarantee that I will be in heaven. Doesn't that sound great? A guarantee? That's what I want. I bet that's what you want. And so if Paul is correct, Paul is saying, and you used to be outsiders, but now you're insiders. It sounds like Paul knows something that he can guarantee somehow somebody that they're going to be an insider. But listen, can you be sure? I mean, as we look at Scripture, does God even want us to be sure? Maybe he wants to leave us guessing. So I'm going to relieve a little tension. A lot of times we wait until later in the teaching to relieve some of this tension, but I'm going to relieve some tension right now when I answer that question. Does God want you to be sure? Does God want you to have assurance? And the answer is yes. He absolutely wants you to have assurance. He does. But the feeling of assurance only comes through perseverance. We're back to that kind of two sides of the same coin. So let's look back for just a moment. Jesus said, we talked about it in week one. We said, we need to get the me right. When Jesus said, follow me, let's get the me right. This is his invitation. We talked about that first Sunday in October. Last week, we said this, 
the only response that Jesus accepts from you and me is faith and repentance. It's not one or the other. They go together always, two sides of the same coin, always faith and repentance. But then here's our question. How can we know that we have truly done that? How can we know that we have responded to God with faith and repentance? So let's go back to Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, right? That's where we get the name for this series, follow me. And let's not overthink this, okay? If we follow him, that means we're going wherever he's going, right? We're going where he's going. If we're really following him, we're going to go where he goes. So if we're truly following him, then something is happening. It's on the screen right here. Follow me. And he says, he told them, and I will make. We're going to pause right there. That's all we need for today. Follow me and I, Jesus, will make. So here's what that means. When we commit to follow him, when we actually begin following him, then he is going to begin making us into something. But what is he making us into? That's a big question, an important question. What is he going to be making of you if you choose to follow him? It's another way we often ask the same question. What is his will for your life if you're going to follow him? What is his will? Which means if you have been here over the course of the past month, we talked a whole lot about this over and over and over again. And here's what he wants to make of you. Let me tell you, he wants his holiness in you. He wants his fruit out of you, and he wants his ways to become your ways. And he wants, all of that can be described as sanctification for you. That's a big word, but let me tell you what it means. Sanctification is the process of God's Spirit changing your mind the way you think to be more like Jesus, and changing your decisions, the things you do, to look more and more like the decisions of Jesus. That's what sanctification is. It's the process where God's Spirit comes into your life, and He begins changing the followers of Jesus to look more and more and more like Jesus, the one they are following, which leads us to a very hard truth that I hope you hear this morning. It is a hard truth, but it's a truth that we have to say. It's got to be talked about. It's a truth for us to truly experience assurance. We have to be in with this truth. Here's the truth. There is no such thing as a non-changing follower of Jesus. No change equals no assurance. Following Jesus always, always, always leads to life change. Notice I didn't say sudden overnight change. This is a progressive change over the course of your whole life. Some days are better, some days are worse. Step forward, sometimes we take a step back. But it's a progressive change over the course of your whole life, a change in the way we think, the way we act, the way we react, 
the way we interact, the way we respond. So if there is no progress in your life, no active change going on in your life, I promise you, you're not going to have the feeling of assurance. I mean, maybe you used an empty prayer. We talked about that last week. Maybe you had some good intentions, but you just made some statements about God, but you never put them into your life. And if you don't put them into your life, then it still leaves you, even though you said some words, it still leaves you trusting in, relying on, and clinging to yourself, not to Jesus. So here's the question we have to ask today based upon this whole thing. What is Jesus making of you? Because if you are truly following him, if you really are a follower of Jesus, he is always, always making and remaking you. Always, without exception. Here's the next verse. Ephesians chapter 1, now verse 13. He says, and now you Gentiles have heard the truth, the good news that saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit, Paul says, is God's guarantee. There's the word. That's the word I want to hear. You know me because I want a guarantee. How can you know that you're really his? Well, if you are really his, he has given you his spirit. And his spirit is the engine that is driving all of this progressive change, which is happening over time, over the rest of your life. This continual change ongoing through your journey as you follow Jesus. And as Paul wrote, the Spirit is his guarantee to you. As he is changing you and rearranging you, you can now be assured. There's another part of Scripture on this same topic that fleshes this out, and I, I want to visit that this morning because it's going to help us make sense of this. And in, honestly, it's, it's a part of Scripture that has been often misunderstood. It's something that James wrote. James was the brother of Jesus, and James wrote this. You have probably read it before, but just in case, uh, McKinley's going to put it on the screen. He's going to tell us that faith without works is dead. And here's how he words that in James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And that's what we're talking about right here. Can faith that doesn't result in life change, can that faith save anyone? And James is answering that question for us. He goes on. Here, listen to verse 17. So you see, faith by itself, 
isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. He's saying, hey, Christ follower, you use Christ follower in quotes. You say that you have faith? Great. That's good. That's good. That's wonderful. Because that means now you have God's spirit working in your life. If that is true, if you really do have faith, that means you really do have God's spirit working in your life. And if God's spirit is working in your life, he is always producing something from your life. Paul is saying, you can tell me about your faith, but honestly, it really should be pretty obvious because faith, well, it's dead. And I love this next part because critics have always been around, and Paul here, I mean, I'm not sorry, Paul James, James here is responding to the criticism before it comes in. He knows it's coming. Verse 18, he says, now someone is going to argue, well, some people have faith and others have good deeds. In other words, that's just not my gift. I don't have to go do that. My gift is faith. I don't have to do that. That's not, that's not me. They have that. I've got, I've got faith. We're, we're both in the same boat, though. We're, we're both, we're all, we're all Christians. And here, here's what James is saying. But I say to you, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. He said, if the first is true and real faith, then the second always follows. James then says, you might be among those people that just have information, and it's not really faith, it's just information. And it just results in something that is useless and dead because it's not real faith. He says information's not enough. After all, he says in verse 19, you say you have faith for you believe. In other words, you believe some information that there is one God. Well, he says, good, that's, that's good. But even the demons believe and they tremble and tear. He goes on verse 20, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless. And he already said it. He said, that can't save anyone because it's not real faith. Now, here's what you, ha you have to understand as he's saying this. this. These good deeds that he's talking about that come, that they are not saved because there are good deeds in their life, because they are works. No, 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 no. These works, these things that they're doing... We are not saved by our works. These works that Paul, uh, that James is talking about here are his works that come out through your life. They're not my works. They're his works. His works are from his spirit. Because if you really have a faith that has saved you, then here's what's happening. God has given you his spirit and his works are coming through your life. It is his works. There's that guarantee again from God's spirit. Those works don't originate from you. They don't originate from me. I cannot muster up the kind of lasting discipline I need day time, but I can't do that out to create the works of the Spirit. I can fake it for a short time, but I can't do that over the course of my whole life for the rest of my life. 
Because when it is left up to me, I'm eventually going to go back to my desires and what I want every time. I'm going to go after what works for me and what gets me what I want, what makes me happy. That's what I'm going to do over time. But his works come as a direct result of God's spirit living inside of me. And if you're a follower of Jesus inside of you, changing us, rearranging us, making us and remaking us. And those works, which are a direct result of my faith and your faith, they all come from his spirit. They show up over the course of time through my decisions, my attitudes, my choices. Because of him, my life is changing. And those changes and my life change, that doesn't save me because, see, that makes it about me and what I do and what I've done. No, 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 no. Those works show up over the long haul of my life because they are his works, him working inside of me, not me. Paul says in Philippians, he says in verse 6, chapter 1, and I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue that work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And that should prove all those changes taking place ongoing over the course of your whole life. And listen, sometimes it is two steps forward, and yes, I fall and I lose some steps. But I get back up and it's another step forward. Listen, do you understand? That should prove to you that your faith is alive. An outsider. Because once you were an outsider. And Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 now, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in all your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by his grace you have been saved. And now, because of that, you either are or you can be an insider. Not because of anything that you did, but because of what he did. It all starts with him, it continues with him, and it ends with him. So how can you know that you are really, really his? His spirit is your guarantee. And his spirit making those changes within you, ongoing for the rest of your life, this side of heaven, it's your guarantee. Our response to God, when he says, follow me, our response to him is to believe and to repent. Belief and repentance. And that will always result in you truly following Jesus. And following Jesus always results in life change. So his response, when you start following him, 
His response is making you, changing you, rearranging you. And if that is you, then Paul says, be assured. Do you struggle with assurance? Then here's my question. How has your life changed since making the decision to, by faith, follow Jesus? How has your life changed? Are you actively following him as his spirit is progressively ongoing, changing you? And if the answer is yes, that is happening, then be assured. Because it has been happening in you. Because that process is going on in you. Renewing your mind. this morning. It is God's spirit renewing your mind, conforming your decisions and your actions to look more and more and more like the one you're following. And if you are not, then it's possible you have some good information, like James said. But that information has not yet resulted in transformation. You might have made some promises to God. You might have prayed a prayer to God. But did you repent from following after what you wanted in your way of life instead of following God? instead of following Jesus. So this week, we're asking you to wrestle with that question. How has my life changed since, by faith, I started following Jesus? Wrestle with that question because it is an important question. And along the way, I just want to encourage you one more time. Continue your 42 days with Jesus. And listen, we just say this. It is not a perfect resource at all. Not a bit. It is just our attempt to help you tie in what we're talking about Sundays right now and help you begin to live that in your life the rest of the week. Will you join us on this 42 Days with Jesus, this journey? Doesn't matter if today's your first day. If you're starting today, Jeremy told you how to get there. Go all the way down at the bottom of the, uh, the uh, Stuttgart Harvest Church, uh, com website. Find the online worship guide. It's a green button all the way towards the bottom, almost at the very bottom, but not quite. Click that. Click that button. There's going to be some information at the top. There's going to be a connection card form. And then right under that is the book, 42 Days with Jesus. Fill that out. And the book will automatically be sent to you. A link, you can get to it. If you look at that and you say, I can't read that. It's too small. I have 1980s eyes. Um, then I just say, turn around. And I will let me know. Send me an email and I will get your eyes a better version you can read with the PDF. So let me know because we want you to do this with us. This is, there's, it is not a perfect resource. We're not pretending that it is. We're just trying to help you in this journey. Will you join us on this journey of 42 days in a row? But I, I, there's probably less than 1% of 
of our church here and our and and your sister church in Malvern. There's less than one percent of us are going to do that all the way through, forty-two days in a row. Most people are doing it a few days at a, a, a week. But just work. Go to the next day. Just keep going through that with us. Not because it's perfect, but because we're trying to help you get this information into your life so that God's Spirit can help you uh, live that in your life. We want you to have assurance that you really do belong to Him. Because if you do, God has given you that guarantee, His Spirit. And now His Spirit if, 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 if his spirit is in your life, his spirit is changing you. Join us on this journey. We hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words that you gave Paul. Thank you. Thank you that we can believe in you. Thank you that we can trust in you, that we can rely on you, that we can give our lives over to your care and your control. And God, when we do, thank you that you have promised that you would give us this guarantee of your spirit and your spirit would move into our lives. And not only does your spirit move into our lives, but your spirit begins to work in our lives from the inside out for the rest of our lives, this side of heaven. And as your spirit does this, we feel that assurance. We feel that guarantee that you've given us. It is our assurance that we belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that we would wrestle with that this week. Have we come to you in faith and repentance? And as a result, your spirit invading our lives, changing us from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name.